Trapcast Express. Trapcast Express, it's Wednesday, July 29th, 2020. Well, it looks like we finally got an answer from the remnants Michael Matt as to what he means by the divine element of the Catholic Church. Frequent listeners to this podcast will recall that whatever is wrong with the Vatican II Church, the doctrines, the liturgy, the errors in canon law, the canonizations of saints, and so forth, all of that is routinely ascribed by Mr. Matt to the human element of the church. So for the longest time, we've been wondering here that if that's all the human element of the Catholic Church, well, then what is left to constitute the divine element? And now, in a YouTube video posted on July 24th entitled, Pope Unplugged, Return of the Old World Order, Matt has finally answered that question. Take a listen. You see, the modern church has betrayed and abandoned us all. And again, I'm talking about the human element, not the divine element. God is still with us. Our Lady is still with us. The saints and the angels are still with us. So for Michael Matt, the indefectible divine element of the church is God, Our Lady, the angels, and the saints. And because God, Our Lady, the angels, and the saints will always be there and will never defect, therefore, the Catholic Church is indefectible. Yeah, that is absolutely brilliant. By that logic, I guess the Orthodox Church is indefectible as well, or the Anglican sect, or the Lutherans, or whoever else believes in God, Our Lady, the angels, and the saints. Oh, wait a minute. The saints? Does that include Saint Paul VI, Saint John XXIII, and Saint John Paul II? Oh no, that's right. Those saints all canonized by Francis, are of course part of the human element of the church. That, ladies and gentlemen, is remnant theology marketed as traditional Catholicism. Matt continues. But the modern church, the men of the church, the modernists have betrayed us. Indeed they have, but if they're modernists, then they're not Catholics by definition. And if they're not Catholics, then they can't be the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. See, it's always the same with these people. On the one hand, they will argue that no one is a heretic until he's been condemned as one by a church judgment. Right? That's what they say when they're arguing against state of Acontism and need to defend their supposed popes. But then on the other hand, as soon as they get out of that anti-state of Acontist mode... They have no problem identifying their own hierarchs as modernists, as heretics. People like Supich, Casper, Marx, Mahoney, Francis himself even. And that's how you know their argumentation is a bunch of baloney, because they themselves don't follow it, because they themselves don't believe it. They only put it forth when they're arguing against Sedevacantism. At all other times, they know very well that you can identify a public heretic without a church judgment, namely when it's manifest that he is one. Now let's listen to some more sound bites from that remnant video. And part of that is because Francis has gone too far. The Vatican has gone too far. And during this pandemic and during these riots, the sheep are looking around for a shepherd and they realize he's left 
the pasture. Okay, so Michael Matt's shepherd has left. Here he's talking about Francis, of course, except that Francis has not left. He's there teaching and preaching and legislating all the time. Matt just doesn't like what he has to say. He's not stopped leading the sheep. He's simply leading them astray. He's leading them to eternal damnation under the guise of mercy and accompaniment. But the beautiful thing about the divinely instituted papacy is that the supreme shepherd cannot lead the faithful astray. That's rooted in Christ's prayer mentioned in Luke 22.32. And hence the First Vatican Council teaches, quote, Indeed, all the venerable fathers have embraced their apostolic doctrine, meaning the Pope's apostolic doctrine, and the holy orthodox doctors have venerated and followed it, knowing full well that the see of St. Peter always remains unimpaired by any error according to the divine promise our Lord the Savior made to the chief of his disciples, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and thou, being once converted, confirm thy brethren. Unquote. And that is that uh, quote from Luke 22, 32, uh, used by the First Vatican Council. So that's the beautiful thing about the Holy See, the haven of eternal salvation. Its magisterium cannot defect. It cannot suddenly start teaching heresy. Its doctrine, its doctrinal decisions and guidance are always safe to follow. You cannot suffer shipwreck in the faith by following the Holy See, by following the Pope. That is the point of having a Holy See. That is why Christ established it. And that is why Pope Pius XI could say in his encyclical Casti Canubii that, quote, a characteristic of all true followers of Christ, lettered or unlettered, is to suffer themselves to be guided and led in all things that touch upon faith or morals by the Holy Church of God through its supreme pastor, the Roman pontiff, who is himself guided by Jesus Christ our Lord. Unquote. That again is Casti uh, Canubii, and it's paragraph number 104. So, a defected or a doctrinally dangerous Holy See is not possible. What is possible, however, is that a false Pope should be installed in the Holy See and pretend to be the real Pope. And one way you can know that, uh, one way you can know that that's what's taken place, is that the doctrines that are issued by him are in manifest plain contradiction to what we are obliged to believe as Catholics. And in fact, that ties in with our blessed Lord's prophecy in Matthew 26, 31, which in turn is based on the prophecy in Zechariah 13, 7. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be dispersed. Now, of course, that is a prophecy of the passion and death of Christ. However, since the Pope is the vicar of Christ and the visible shepherd of the church, it is not unreasonable to see in this also a prophecy of the Pope being struck at some point, especially given St. Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where he speaks of the restraining power against the Antichrist being taken out of the way at the appointed time. 
And it's very important to understand that that isn't some kind of triumph of the devil. It's uh, rather God's providence at work. Just as Christ had to be slain, and he did this of his own volition, and not because his enemies were more powerful than he, so also the temporary removal of the Pope, the temporary eclipse of the papacy, is willed by God in order ultimately to defeat the devil in, in a more humiliating fashion and to save more souls and to give more glory to God. And, you know, that may not be apparent to us right now, but the mind of God is infinitely greater than our little created intellects. Now, to underscore that I'm not just saying that, consider what Father Sylvester Barry wrote in 1921, commenting on chapter 13 of the Apocalypse. Quote, The beast arising from the earth is a false prophet, the prophet of Antichrist. Our divine Savior has a representative on earth in the person of the Pope, upon whom he has conferred full powers to teach and govern. Likewise, Antichrist will have his representative in the false prophet, who will be endowed with the plenitude of satanic powers to deceive the nations. As indicated by the resemblance to a lamb, the prophet, meaning the false prophet, will probably set himself up in Rome as a sort of anti-pope during the vacancy of the papal throne mentioned above, unquote. And that is from Father Barry's book, The Apocalypse of St. John, page 135. In a previous chapter, Barry had mentioned that the Antichrist would reveal himself during a vacancy of the apostolic see. Here's what he wrote on page 124 of the same book. Quote, it is a matter of history that the most disastrous periods for the church were times when the papal throne was vacant or when antipopes contended with the legitimate head of the church. Thus also shall it be in those evil days to come. The church, deprived of her chief pastor, must seek sanctuary in solitude, there to be guided by God himself during those trying days. In those days, the church shall also find refuge and consolation in faithful souls, especially in the seclusion of the religious life." Unquote. Now, the point here is not to say that Francis is the Antichrist or the false prophet. I simply want to point out that the idea that there is a vacancy of the Holy See while a false pope reigns in Rome, is not incompatible with Catholic theology, is not unheard of. And in fact, it seems to be hinted at in, in Catholic prophecy in the sacred scriptures. So if Michael Matt notices that the shepherd is absent, then that's because Francis is not, in fact, the Catholic chief shepherd. But there's more. Bishop Schneider, where did he come from? He's proof, obviously, that God is still with his church. And Bishop Schneider is leading us now as a shepherd, as a faithful shepherd. Ah, uh, yes. So since Matt doesn't like the man he acknowledges to be the chief shepherd of Catholicism, he instead turns to a shepherd of his own choosing, in this case, Athanasius Schneider. The problem is that that's not how it works in the Catholic Church. 
you don't get to pick and choose whichever bishop you prefer to follow. In the Catholic Church, your legitimate shepherd is the bishop of your diocese. Athanasius Schneider is only an auxiliary. He's not even an ordinary. And his jurisdiction is in Astana, Kazakhstan. Now, unless Matt has moved to Central Asia recently, I'm pretty sure that's not his diocese. No, Mr. Matt, your shepherd is, like it or not, Bernard Hebda, the Archlayman of St. Paul and Minneapolis. And over and above that, it's Jorge Bergoglio. You don't get to choose someone from Kazakhstan instead because you like what he says. That's not traditional Catholicism, which you're supposedly fighting for. Here, instead, is traditional Catholicism. Listen to Pope Leo XIII. Quote, to the shepherds alone was given all power to teach, to judge, to direct. On the faithful was imposed the duty of following their teaching, of submitting with docility to their judgment, and of allowing themselves to be governed, corrected, and guided by them in the way of salvation. Thus it is an absolute necessity for the simple faithful to submit in mind and heart to their own pastors, and for the latter to submit with them to the head and supreme pastor. In this subordination and dependence lie the order and life of the church. In it is to be found the indispensable condition of well-being and good government. On the contrary, if it should happen that those who have no right to do so should attribute authority to themselves, if they presume to become judges and teachers, if inferiors in the government of the universal church attempt or try to exert an influence different from that of the supreme authority, there follows a reversal of the true order, many minds are thrown into confusion, and souls leave the right path. Unquote. That is traditional Catholic doctrine. That was Pope Leo XIII in his apostolic letter, Epistola Tua, published June 17, 1885. But there's more. When I was a child, Catholics looked to Archbishop Marcel of Favre when he stood up and said something has gone very wrong in the church. We looked to him for leadership and for Catholicism and for Christianity and for salvation of our children, our schools, our seminaries, our priests, we look to Archbishop Lefebvre, and now we look to Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, to Bishop Athanasius Schneider, and to whatever faithful priests and bishops are left to keep and defend the old faith. Yeah, see, and that's exactly how it does not work in the Catholic Church, because, believe it or not, that is private judgment. Matt has decided on his own non-existent authority to follow a bishop who is not his shepherd. And he's done so even in defiance of the man he claims is the vicar of Christ on earth. And why? Well, because it is obvious that this man, Francis, is not leading souls to salvation not only by his own personal bad example, but in his official capacity, in his magisterial documents, in the men he declares to be saints, in the liturgical and disciplinary laws that he issues, and so forth. It is obvious. But it is, by Catholic theology, a necessary consequence, then, that this man cannot be the Pope, else we are totally destroying the entire 
Catholic doctrinal edifice of the papacy, which is exactly what the remnant and the other recognize and resist trads are doing with their persistent recognition of this manifest apostate Francis as the valid pope, because they don't want to be sedevacantists. All right, one more clip. The world is desperate for the return of the king. The world is desperate for Holy Mother Church to come back to them. We're not a democracy. The bishops, the priests, the cardinals, eventually a future pope will have to lead us back. Okay, so he admits that the church is not a democracy right after he's told us to pick and choose which bishops to follow. Which, by the way, is a totally deadly and self-refuting idea. Because if he gets to follow Athanasius Schneider instead of Bernard Hebda or Jorge Bergoglio, well, what's going to keep someone else from following Blaise Supich, Reinhard Marx, or Wilton Gregory? See, that's why there is a pope in the Catholic Church. Well, when there is one, you ultimately have to be in union with the pope, not with this or that other bishop of your own choosing who opposes the pope, but with the pope. On January 21, 1878, Pope Pius IX wrote about opposition to the papal magisterium in his apostolic letter Didicimus to the president of the Italian Catholic Youth Council as follows. Quote, Divine providence permits this so that it may appear all the more clearly that the church established by God cannot be destroyed by violence from without or by discord from within. And all history has shown very well that the ills she suffers have no other result than a more striking manifestation of the truth, a firmer and more effective faith on the part of those who have held to the truth, a more docile and more zealous union with this chair of truth. We congratulate you, therefore, on the fact that although you suffer, doubtless, at the defection of your brothers, separated from you by the breath of perfidious teaching, you are not troubled for all that, and are even being stimulated by their error to receive with greater willingness and to follow with more zeal not only the orders but even all the directives of the apostolic see. And by so doing, you are certain that you cannot be deceived or betrayed. Unquote. Bam! And now you know, ladies and gentlemen, what is the real divine element of the Catholic Church. But the modern church, the men of the church, the modernists have betrayed us. Tradcast Express is a production of Novos Ordo Watch. Check us out at tradcast.org, and if you like what we're doing, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution at novosordowatch.org slash donate.